Welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign, where we talk with some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers. You can find our seven questions that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in the show notes. This week, we talk with career coach Emily Lamia, who has been helping people grow and develop in their careers for over a decade. She has supported countless people to network more effectively, interview more confidently, and think more strategically about how to get where they want to go. Emily worked on political campaigns at the Democratic National Committee and was the executive director of what's now called Gain Power before she founded Pivot Journeys in 2016. She provides professionals with the strategic and meaningful support that they need to find good work and empower them to be inspired, engaged, and effective on the job. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Really excited to be here. All right. So first, tell us what led you to start Pivot Journeys. When I started my career in politics, I was kind of lucky enough. The last job that I had in about 2010, 2011, 2012 was the executive director of uh, Democratic Gains, which is now known as Gain Power. And that was where, you know, I had the first opportunity to actively coach and work with people on career development day to day. And I totally loved it. I mean, I think that being in that role totally opened me up to seeing how important career development is, how much we often don't get it. We don't have people to talk to about our growth and progression in any type of work industry that we're in. I really kind of found my sweet spot. And then after I sort of left the political world and moved back to New York, which was where I was originally from and got a master's and ended up at the Girl Scouts of the USA in their national headquarters, which was, you know, a much more traditional nonprofit and environment, really large, really historic, which is very different from a lot of the, the typical types of organizations in the political world. I was missing all of that career development. I still had people that were coming to me and asking for help looking at a resume or asking for more in a salary negotiation or things like that. You know, I was missing it. And I was thinking about sort of what my next step was going to look like. Um, and I was lucky enough in the job I had at Girl Scouts to be working on recruitment, training, onboarding of the National Board of Directors. I was in the National Board Office. You know, I had this idea for Pivot Journeys, which was originally a concept that was combining career development and travel. So the first version of a Pivot journey was actually in 2016, where I took folks on trips to Costa Rica, Belize, and various uh, domestic locations to sort of help them take a step back, take a time out, do some reflection and relax a little bit and do some of that career development at the same time with others who were in a similar spot and wanted to do that thinking as well. So the first version of my business was this pivot journey that was the travel and the career development. And over time, I think largely because I really fell into the career development hard and that had been my background. The career development part stayed, the travel part sort of disappeared a bit. And especially now with COVID, geez, a good thing that was the case years later. For the last five, six years or so, I've been doing just that career development. And it, it really came from this place of just really enjoying helping people grow and succeed in their careers. So for your personal career transition from the political world and the nonprofit world, what was the most difficult challenge that you faced during that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think there were so many. And it's funny because now as the coach to a lot of folks that work in the political space, I see it play out. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges about working in politics, which is also such an awesome part about working in politics, is that 
people don't really care about age. It's a young person's profession largely, right? And so you can take ownership, you can take initiative and leadership really early on and get to be in charge of quite a lot in a way that you can't often in corporate America or even in other sort of traditional nonprofits. And so I think one of the biggest challenges for me is, you know, I had mentioned I was like the executive director of Democratic Gain in 2012. And so I was overseeing membership, the programming, the fundraising, the operations, the payroll, like literally everything. And so how I was then going to position myself to go into another type of job that was much more narrowly focused and obviously wasn't going to have an executive director title. And so I think that a lot of folks have that same challenge of how you convey what the heck working in politics even means, right? I think a lot of people think it looks like the West Wing and like, okay, sometimes it does, right? But other times people just don't even have a sense as to what it really means and what it looks like to work in politics. So I think that was the hard part of translating that. But I think in particular for me, because I had been in this very high leadership position, it was a really small organization with a smaller budget, but making the case as to how and why I wanted to narrowly focus on a certain type of role and function and almost kind of take a step back in that level of leadership that I was going to get to have. That was the hard part for me. And I think that that definitely is a pain point for folks that I see as well when you go from having so much responsibility to needing to fit into a smaller bucket in some ways. Yeah. So you talk about being a career coach. Tell us when somebody needs to hire a career coach. Oh, man, I would say that not everybody does need a coach. And that is all good. You know, sometimes people have that natural instinct themselves that they can do it on their own. Other times they have good, you know, family members or friends and, and close colleagues that can act as that mentor or that sponsor for them. But I think, you know, and there are so many different types of coaches out there. Sometimes people work with coaches because they have emotional or mental blocks and they need help seeing those and then trying to figure out strategies to work around them. Sometimes people hire a coach because they need some structure. You know, a lot of my strengths are around structure. And so I often end up being the person that works with folks who are really hungry for that sort of, how do I make this change happen? What steps do I need to follow? What's the first step? How am I going to know that I'm making progress when big challenge of make a transition it involves too many individual pieces to often unpack on your own. But I think the other reason sometimes people work with coaches, and again, I think this has been the case for me is, especially right now, people are looking at making big changes and they don't know what they don't know. I have so many conversations with folks that are, well, you know, I could do this and I could do that, but what else is out there? I don't even know what else is out there. What are these other types of roles? And so I think uh, one of the benefits of working with a coach, especially for somebody who would be like me and can see so many different types of sectors and roles and different levels of careers is to be able to give ideas of other ways that your skills can translate, other ways that your interests might look in a different environment. And so coaches can provide insights and ideas. They can provide structure. They can provide accountability. That's a big one for folks. But then also there are other coaches for sure that are a little bit um, softer in their support of helping move through certain gravity problems and roadblocks and emotional and mental challenges that often get in the way of people making change happen. What is the biggest mistake that you see people making when it comes to making a career change in the political or the nonprofit space that you've seen over the years? Oh man, so many. They're always so common too. I think one of the things that I have really noticed, and I am guilty of this myself, and it is embarrassing in retrospect to think about it, is the power and the importance of practicing what you say. And so by that, I mean, 
many times, especially in the political world, man, we're all networking. We're networking without even really realizing that we're networking. I mean, the political space is so small. So many people know each other. Even if you don't know that person, you know five or 20 people in common. And a lot of the time when you're kind of having these casual networking conversations, you're kind of just like, oh, I'll wing it. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with myself. Or even if you're not super comfortable, you don't even think to practice what you might say or what is most important to that other person. So one of the mistakes I really see is that people just don't put time and effort and thought into how am I presenting myself when I'm meeting this person for the first time and they say, so what's what's going on with you? You get 30, 60 seconds. What is the best use of that time? Is it to, you know, bitch about the current situation you're in? Is it to talk about the traffic you just came through? No, probably not. Like, how do you want to be strategic in that conversation you're having with that person? And how do you really think about that ahead of time to set that up to be most effective and get something positive out of it? And then that translates into interviews. I think the biggest mistake that I have seen, and again, ugh, it's embarrassing for me to think about this when I think about my own background people do not prepare for interviews robustly at all. And this is why when you're in a job search and you are trying to make a change, if you're getting a lot of first round interviews, that's great. You're, you're obviously doing the work of getting your foot in the door. Maybe your resume is in good shape and tailored. But then if you're not getting second and third round interviews, it's because you're not thinking about your communications enough. You're not practicing the tell me about yourself, walk me through your resume question, which you are going to get every time, I promise you. And you're not thinking about those key examples that show your experience in a really impressive way. And so, you know, whenever I'm talking to folks and I'm saying, okay, so what is the prep that you've done for this interview? The classic things I get are, oh, I researched the people. I looked at the press releases. I read their website. Cool. All good. That's all just about them. This conversation, especially that first round interview, is actually just about you. They're not going to grill you most of the time on if you know the latest press release. They're trying to figure out if you can do the job. So what are those top four or five skills and experiences? And can you speak to those? That's what I want you to spend your time prepping for. And so it goes so hand in hand with the networking is just the, do you know what you're saying when you get on the phone with somebody, whether it's a formal or informal conversation? And most people just are used to winging it. They're used to feeling comfortable with their natural relationship skills that they don't really think strategically on that. Usually my whole soapbox is with clients, with other people is, have you thought about what success looks like for that conversation? How are you opening it? What example from your career do you think is most important to highlight? And without a doubt, there's always more you can do on that piece too, to take it from a B level answer to an A plus level answer. And, you know, I've just talked to you for like five minutes straight on this. So you can tell excited I get about this concept and how much I see it in action. But I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I always encourage folks to put some real thought and time and energy into. Yeah. And I also think it's really being comfortable with the narrative of who you are in your career yeah. and being open to the fact that everything in your career is not going to be positive. Yeah. And what are ways to talk about that? A hundred percent. I am going to ask you questions if you're interviewing with me that are going to be, so tell me about a time in which you had a failure at work you and what it. did you do about it? And so being able to answer those questions in an authentic way and not the answer, well, I've never failed, right? That's not a great answer, right? But those to me are really important pieces that not everybody works on. A hundred percent. And they, this is where 
you know, your interview prep and all of that can start way before you actually even get an interview because you know you're going to get that question. The tell me about a time you failed and what you learned from it is classic. You know, the where do you see yourself in five years? What are your strengths and weaknesses? Tell me about a conflict with a coworker. Like those are routine. We know we're getting those. So you, you can prep for those way in advance. But I would bet for you too, Joe, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of people that come to you for networking purposes. I mean, out of 10 conversations, how many times do you feel like you start that conversation or finish it and say, oh, this person was really on the ball. They were really thoughtful and strategic as opposed to kind of ending the meeting and thinking like, well, did they get something out of it? Like, I'd be curious to hear from from like what your perspective is. It's a mix, right? I will say that I get a lot of folks who do come to me and who are prepared, but I do have some folks who will find me on LinkedIn and I feel like they've never read anything about me and have no basis for the conversation. And also don't really have an answer for the question, which I'll ask usually at the end of every informational interview, how else can I help you? And they, they won't know how to answer that or what else, how else can I be helpful today? What else could I do to help you? Those are very big softball questions. And then the other thing that I often see is just a complete lack of follow-up that someone will have connected with me who I think is great. I say, yeah, well, let me send this to you and please send me back a resume or this information on, and I never ever hear back. And that to me is, is interesting. Yeah. Classic. I hear this stuff all the time as well. The follow-up is just as important in some ways. Yep. Handwritten thank you notes. I also think are to me, those little things, if people do that, they are um, going to connect with me a, a lot more. It doesn't have to be really big, but it's like an email. Thank you. Something you're going to find again, you're developing that relationship. I find it, especially now in a virtual world, it's very hard to develop real lasting relationships virtually. And you have to do a little bit extra to create that. And that to me is so important. I agree. I totally agree. And it's, it's, it really has made us have to think more about targeted, thoughtful, proactive networking and approach as opposed to just, well, I'll go to this happy hour and get a, get a glass of wine and a cheese plate and see who I meet. Right. Like in some ways kind of thank God we're not doing that anymore as much because is it really a good use of your time? You, maybe you walk away with a business card from somebody that's helpful to have met. But like, if you change the approach into who do I really need to talk to to learn about these things I'm interested in or to understand XYZ type of work more, like theoretically, that's a much better use of your time and the person who would be on the receiving end like you to be able to say, yes, I would like to be helpful. I'd like to be targeted and, and being helpful as opposed to just wasting your time and not being sure if the people you're meeting, it's actually a helpful connection for them. So the other question I have for you is you work with individuals, but you also work with organizations and companies that are hiring coaches to help employees and make the organizations better. Talk to us a little bit about that process and the need for that. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more of that, which is always exciting. You know, right now, as as we're filming this, it's spring 2022. And I think that companies are realizing it is an employee's market for basically the first time in decades, right? They are worried about losing good talent. They're worried about people being happy. And they're trying to figure out how to get the best of them, especially as they now work in these hybrid and sometimes fully remote environments. And so I think there's becoming more and more need 
need for coaches and outside facilitators and consultants to sort of help make sure that that team or organization is doing everything they can to engage people, to make people feel valued, to make people feel like they get to bring their full selves to work and use their strengths. So a lot of my work is sort of across the board. I've done everything from you know, doing a mission and vision planning retreat, a public school network to, you know, engaging with a team every two to three months as they do their retreats to sort of figure out where their goals are and where those um, strengths that the team has naturally can go and really affect those goals being as effective and possible. And then I do work with organizations that really are realizing how important the manager is. One of the workshops I do just for my business on its own is a strengths-based management workshop. And I have loved getting to take that to organizations because most of the time when people leave, they're leaving because they're not moving up, they're not feeling valued, they're curious and hungry for new opportunities, or they just have a really bad manager. And a bad manager often is then not helping them grow and develop as well. And so when I get to do those strengths-based management workshops, what I love is that, that the folks walking out of it usually end up saying, oh man, I'm not doing enough as a manager. I need to be having career development conversations. I need to be giving specific strengths-based feedback. I need to be orienting this feedback in a future-oriented oriented way that propels people's engagement to be higher and gets people excited about what they're building towards. And most of the time people don't get management training. I mean, I have such respect for the management center and the work that they do in the progressive space. And they're often just focusing on those top level folks. And we have all these middle level people. And I know there are folks out there that are working on addressing that gap, which is awesome. And yet the need is still more than I think the amount of folks working in that space. And so it's been really exciting to see that organizations realize they need to put money towards this and resources and time. I think one of the challenges is baking it into, you know, the performance goals for managers and leadership to really hold themselves accountable for creating better environments and cultures. But yeah, it's been super fun to work on really trying to unpack how you make managers more effective, how you navigate this bizarre hybrid and remote space that we're in and how long that's going to be the case for and how you really upskill and do some of the softer skills training for teams too, because especially when we're all remote, those soft skills become even more important. And that's really what makes the difference for people and being able to move into senior level positions. You know, when you're at that point, it's not because, oh, your Excel skills are not so great and they need to get better. It's usually the leadership and those softer pieces that are what hold people back. And so I just love doing a lot of the self-awareness stuff that comes with some of those soft skill pieces. So at the campaign workshop, one, we're huge fans of the management center. We send every single employee through management center trainings. We're also a big believer in career coaching and coaching for managers. We have and have that as a part of our benefits package where if folks need career coaching, we work on matching folks up with a coach. We do coaching around sort of positive conflict within the workplace of how do you manage folks and get people to engage and meet deadlines. I think sometimes there's an assumption within a company or frankly within a nonprofit that everyone knows how to manage people. It's a learn skill. It's not a innate skill. And I will tell you that it's taken me a long time through my own career coaching to become a better manager. I still need work to do on it and I still work on it. But I think it's really being thoughtful about 
the tools you're giving your employees and you're giving managers on how they can work better together and making sure that you're reflective of the core values of your organization and being able to have those hard conversations, making that a core value. I think so often what happens is, is that the expectations are not really laid out on what is expected of folks from an employee level. And frankly, making it part of a culture of an organization to be able to ask for help when you need help. Yep. A learning culture, you know, and I think that, you know, the world I'm in is the learning and development space that kind of intersects with a lot of HR. And, you know, one of the questions that oftentimes folks will ask in interviews is how do you create a learning culture? And if only there was a step one, step two, step three, right? There's not really that kind of easy laid out process, but I think it starts with what you're saying, which is admitting when sometimes you just don't know stuff or when you need help or when you made a mistake, right? And prioritizing that that's that's a good thing, right? I think there are even some case studies I've read in the past where people like celebrate and congratulate you when you've made an epic failure of some kind, because you have to have that to show that you're growing and learning, like rewarding that as part of creating a learning culture. Yeah. I mean, we try at the campaign workshop to have a no blame culture and to use there to be learning opportunities when there is failure, but there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be failure and being open to that and trying to use that as an opportunity to solve problems in the future to me is just key. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a success story of an organization you've worked with or an individual who like went through a career change that you felt came out the other end in a positive way? Oh, so many. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with, I mean, at this point, probably close to 300 people one-on-one over five or six years now. So in all different types of careers and such, you know, I mean, if I'm thinking about the political types of people that I've worked with, it's funny, sometimes I I feel a little bit unusual in that a lot of people talk about getting out of politics or moving into something else, but not a ton of people actually do. They'll kind of move into a little bit of an adjacent role or they'll do the consulting path. You know, they were doing campaigns or political committees and then they they jump to a, a consulting firm. But oftentimes it's it's a lot rarer to see bigger moves of folks. You know, and I think about the clients that I've worked with individually that came from politics, you know, the couple of the ones that come to mind for me, I was working with a woman who I did some individual coaching and a group coaching program with who was a fundraiser for some pretty big Senate rock stars, uh, Democratic Senate folks. And she really loved the coaching. And in, in part, I think watching me and the process that we all went through in a group, she got really excited about being a coach. And so she's actually, she's now a full-time coach uh, working with people, not just on career coaching, but all kinds of other personal development coaching as well. And so this has been a really big change for her. I also think about a woman who also had been doing fundraising for uh, for political candidates, and she moved into a development role, but for a um, for-profit company that was really trying to change messaging around the environment and how we talk about climate change. And so she's not in the cyclical political world anymore. And she's really enjoying just that totally different sector and getting to interact with folks that come from you know, big corporate world that is that are totally different. And then the one other woman that always comes to mind for me, who was at a big consulting firm in politics, she'd been there for maybe like 10 or 12 years. 
And she was really hungry to sort of do something totally different. And she ended up going into communications within higher education. The institution she went to had tuition reimbursement. She was really interested in engineering. Wow. And so we worked together first to make that transition into higher ed, which she was really happy at. And then we did a little bit of work after she had been there maybe six months and decided she wanted to apply for the master's program in engineering. Um, and so now she's in that. So talk about a really big, totally different change. So it is definitely possible and I see it. But I have to say out of the I've probably worked with maybe a dozen or two dozen political related folks by now. A lot of political folks have actually decided to stay in somewhat of an adjacent role, except for a few of these people. I think people who go into politics initially, they have such a personal mission alignment with the work that it does narrow down the types of things that you could be interested in because you have to feel so much belief and integrity and, and principled values related to your work. And so I think that's often harder to find. And you certainly don't get that same level of the principled nature of changing the world that you do in politics, which I think is why that often keeps people there. But I feel very lucky that I found a career that I love every day. Um, I'm not going off and becoming a full-time stand-up comedian anytime soon, just in case you were wondering. You sure, Jeff? Try it. Why not? It's going to be a rough <laughs> midterm year. Maybe this is the year to try it. Well, thank you. This has been so great to chat with you. Do you have any resources, books, podcasts, or that you would recommend if folks are thinking of a career change or if you're in in a career and you want to like do it a little bit better? What are what are some resources you would recommend? Yeah, my two favorite ones that I share with most everybody. Um, the first is a strengths assessment called the Gallup Clifton Strengths, or it used to be known as Strengths Finder. And I, I have a very love-hate relationship with the company for a lot of different reasons, but I do find that their strengths assessment can be life-changing for people. I use it with probably 90% of the clients that I work with. I use it with most of the teams that I work with in organizations. And it's a really powerful way to sort of put language to and understand and gain a whole other level of awareness around the natural strengths that you bring to your work. So, you know, if you've got lots of executing talents, okay, what does that tell you about the type of role that could be great? Or what does that tell you about how you really sort of apply those strengths more proactively in your day to day or as a manager or whatever that is? Um, versus if you've got other types of strengths, right? And so I think unpacking and really doing a little bit more self-awareness of the ways you naturally think, feel, and behave and how those relate to either a potential job change or doing better in the job that you're in can be enormously empowering for folks and kind of unlock potential ideas. But the second thing that I share with folks is a book that was written in, I think, 2016 by a couple of Stanford Design School professors, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. And I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the frameworks that they offer as well, right? There's always caveats to things. But they wrote a book called Designing Your Life, How to Build a Joyful, Well-Meaning, Meaningful Life. And they talk about bringing design thinking principles to your life and career. So the idea with design thinking principles is that first you are identifying what the end user needs. You're, you're empathizing with the end user. It was often a Silicon Valley related kind of discipline where you're trying to solve a, a problem for a, a service or a product or something to meet that end user with the goals to, to solve their problems. Then you're ideating, you're coming up with lots of different ideas to solve that problem in different ways. And then the main piece of the design thinking framework is to prototype. 
to test out and try little things fast, easy, cheap, quick to implement, to get feedback in a very fast way and iterate on those ideas you have to come to a better solution. So if we apply that framework to our uh, life and career, we're all our end users. So we can do a little self-reflection. We can use tools like the StrengthsFinder tool and other things to really understand who we are and what we're trying to solve for. And then we should be coming up with lots of ideas because usually the first idea you have is not actually the best one. So if you come up with a bunch of different ideas for the ways that your life and career can start to look over the next few years, then you can go prototype them. People usually get stuck because they have ideas, but they don't know what to do next. And so the prototyping concept is to reframe networking in a way that's not just, hey, I'm looking for a job, but actually I have these different ideas. Hey, people who are doing these different ideas, tell me what it's like so I can make a good decision as to which of these paths I try and follow and which ones I'm going to choose. And the prototyping can be everything from, you know, yes, talking to people, but also going to conferences, writing a blog post. If you want to be a comedian and you're thinking about that, do a trial stand-up run at an open mic night and see how you like it and then iterate on that and continue to build with more prototypes. So I think the Designing Your Life book is a great one for folks to start with and start to see if they have ideas for what those next paths can look like and then take that idea of prototyping and really put that bias to action into play to start kind of clearing some of those roadblocks. But yeah, Gallup Strengths Finder tool and the Designing Your Life book would be my two ones. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm. I mean, again, all of these resources I ha- also have love hate relationships with, right? But like, yep. powerful is a book I really like, which is on corporate culture. Delivering happiness is a book that I read a while ago, which I also think was about the Zappos culture, which I think is really good. So there's a few of those, and we'll yep. put them in the show notes. And again, I also think the Management Center has, which we've mentioned before, has a tremendous amount of resources, um, check-in guides, some other things, and we'll put those in there too. But Emily, it was so great to chat with you. And thanks so much for all you do and for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's been great. How to Win a Campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Dina Castillo, Amanda Ellis, Porobi Saha, and Anna Cruxen. Music by Danielle Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.